You're listening to Not The Wifey Type, the podcast, a cape-free zone where we share stories and break down strength and struggle narratives to reimagine lives with us at the center. I'm your host, Kayla Charleston. Now let's get into it. We're talking about erasure on today's episode and how the erasure of darker skin, monoracial black women causes some issues, some challenges, and why some black people are reluctant to put boundaries around blackness and who predominantly gets to represent blackness. I thought I would share my story of transition to natural hair as an example of how I feel like erasure and lack of representation for darker skinned black women and and you know women and girls with features associated with blackness how that contributed to my understanding of myself and my expectations of what my hair actually did so I don't know if I've said this before on the show but I grew up in Kentucky and throughout my childhood I can remember literally one person who had natural hair and it was a girl in my high school who had never had a relaxer, but I don't remember anybody else throughout my entire childhood who had natural hair. So I just, I grew up not knowing what black hair looked like, what black hair felt like, what black hair supposedly did and didn't do, even though I was growing black hair out of my scalp. I also grew up during a time when music videos were a big deal. We had 106 in Park. So every day you watch 106 in Park to see what what were the top 10 videos. And video vixens were also a, a thing, more of a thing back during that time. So the girls in the video or the women in the video, a lot of times would be light skinned or would be multiracial or biracial. And they would have this long flowing curly hair. And it's not that I wanted to be a video vixen, but as a teenager, when you're seeing that these are the women that are promoted and that are celebrated and that boys your age are into and they're, you know, positioned as desirable, then you're also realizing, well, wait a minute, I don't look like them. So it can be easy, especially for someone young, like a teenager to internalize that, okay, these are the women that are celebrated. And these are also women that I don't look like and what that means for what you what you do look like. So not only that, but I can remember shows where um, I didn't necessarily watching shows that didn't represent me or where I didn't feel represented. So, for example, my wife and kids was a show, a popular show uh, from when I was younger and they I remember them replacing the darker skinned daughter, the original daughter with a biracial Jennifer Freeman who had who was light-skinned with the long flowy hair and the younger daughter on the show was also multiracial so you had Tisha Campbell Martin who was a light-skinned black woman and you had um Damon Wayans I think it was who was the brown-skinned dad who had two multiracial daughters so it just reinforced you know, the lack of representation for, for girls who look like me. So when I went natural, I transitioned for six months. I waited six months to chop out all the relaxer. And I, when I, when I did do that, when I chopped out the relaxer, I remember for months being obsessed with trying to figure out my quote unquote curl pattern. And 
trying to find the right products to quote unquote define my curls because again I had seen so much representation for multiracial and mixed race girls and women and this type of hair that's long and flowing and and has these curly ringlets that it's what I aspired to quite honestly and I think I approached my hair from a, a, a standpoint of okay how do I get my hair to look like that which I have seen put on a pedestal and seen as valued versus okay how do I learn what my hair does and you know maximize and and draw out the strengths of my hair. And so it was a, an unlearning process and it ended up being a love story because I love my hair. And once I got to know my hair and what it does and accepted what it doesn't do and realized that it's fine, I absolutely love my hair. I have thicker hair than almost anybody I know. And because it is a, a tighter um, texture, it holds, it holds uh, patterns better than say if my hair was looser or more fine so when I want to do a twist out when I want to do a braid out I have you know a perfect the perfect type of hair for that or if I want to fro right so it does so many different things and it's so versatile however when I again when I first went natural I was chasing the aesthetic that had been promoted to me for so long And that's what today's show is about. No shade to multiracial or biracial people, but this is for the darker skinned black women. I really enjoyed this interview. The guest is very animated. So I hope you all enjoy this interview as well. And I hope that it makes you feel seen. to introduce today's guest who is Jukebox Jones. She is a writer and cultural critic with a focus on race, gender, and relationships. How are you this evening, Jukebox? I am well, Kayla. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for coming. So I have been a part of your online community for quite a while um, now. Back when I remember I joined back when I was still a babe in all of these types of issues around uh, race and gender and stuff. So I've come quite a long way. And I I feel like your work was really important in those in those baby step years. So (laughs) thank you for those flowers. They're so sweet. (laughs) So today we're talking about colorism and probably more specifically erasure. Those two things are related, but we're going to talk about those issues today. And we're just going to start with you giving a little bit of background on yourself and like your understanding of self and um, what you were taught um, growing up about girls who look like you and their place in the world. And when I say girls who look like you for audience, I mean like unambiguous black girls monoracial, brown skin to dark skin, 4C hair, type 4 hair, us, descendants of American chattel slavery. That's who we talking about. Black girls in America. With regard to my personal experiences, I grew up in uh, military communities. And so my siblings and I were some of the only monoracial Black people I ever saw. Everybody was team mixed because if Black men don't do nothing else, they join the Navy and marry the first not Black woman to give them the time of day and make a a slew of beige children with her. So 
all my classmates were team mixed, you know, and beige people. And I've been looking at mono, uh, uh, multiracial and biracial people my entire life being part of a military community. So, you know, my siblings and I were the only monoracial, unambiguously black people I saw on a regular basis. Um, and I just, I internalized that, you know, when, when the boys were picking the girls at puberty and people were pairing off in pairs and I wasn't getting paired, I had questions, you know, because I was everything they told me I needed to be. You know, I was smart. You know, I wasn't fast per se, you know, with regard to the uh, the uh, uh, respectability politics and slut shaming that they do to girls. I, I did everything they told me to do and I didn't get the affection and the attention uh, from the gender to which I was attracted in return. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, it does. And I was really laughing when you um, mentioned that you're from a military background. And that's the first thing that black men do is get a non-black wife because I have family members just like that. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. I'm not lying. I did not make that up. <laughs> no, I'm not lying. The first yes. Thing so would you what would you say was kind of where you um, or some of your formative experiences around colorism? Or was it mostly tied to being in a community where um, biracial people were chosen? Yeah, for me, it was mostly uh, white and Latina and racially ambiguous girls, you know, being chosen, you know, around me when I was around 13, 14. But then we moved back down to Alabama where it was it was black folks everywhere. So, you know, I started getting selected as well, you know, not very often, mm -hmm. but still. So, so um, it just, it just didn't, it didn't really bother me after we left that environment. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. After we left the military environment where everybody was, you know, is team mixed. It didn't really bother me so much. When we got around black folks, I, I found my groove, my niche. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. So, and I want to, tie colorism to erasure and I identify colorism or I describe colorism as like a systematic advantage of lighter skinned people over darker skinned people in a way that creates privilege for light skinned people. And I think it's related to erasure, which is a little different. And I think erasure is, has more so to do with um, lighter skinned people or mixed race or biracial people becoming representative of you know, blackness or black people. So where, where do you think was when you first became aware of the connection between like colorism and erasure specifically? Only in the past couple years, because uh, with the media, with American media, as it is, and biracial black women, I'm fond of saying it. I say it all the time. I say it so often. My phone has it on autocomplete. Auto biracial black women are the main representatives of black femininity in the media uh, to the detriment and erasure of monoracial brown skin black women. So in the media and in the natural hair community. And it's deliberate because the entertainment industry is still run by white folks, you know, Um they still control every aspect of it, and they want blackness to be redefined as biracial. I mean, when I can make photo collages of 36 actresses who are all of, of black, white parentage, and they are working, like working actresses, and they're not necessarily the best. They're just working. They're getting booked. Um, when I can do that, something is going on, and you need to acknowledge it. 
You know, people will mm-hmm. gaslight you and pretend like you're making it up and pretend like you're overreacting all day. But the fact of the matter is biracial black women are the main representatives of black femininity in the media and in the natural hair community. And it's deliberate and it's, it's to erase monoracial, particularly to erase particularly descendants of American chattel slavery in mm-hmm. American media. They are either replacing us with Nigerians, <laughs> British Nigerians, okay, or biracial girls. We there, you can count on one hand the number of monoracial brown skinned black women who have been able to sustain a career for over 10 years. You know, you got Taraji, mm-hmm. you got Gabrielle Taraji, and they're doing hair now. They're selling hair products. So let's talk about booking and having to diversify and do other things because you're not booking the same gigs you used to book. So yeah, you know, you got a handful of women who have had a career for over 10 years in this business who are also monoracial. We are being replaced in the media. The 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 definition of black femininity is becoming biracial. Mhm. So um, let's talk about a specific example that I've I've seen you talk about online, and that was Tracy Ellis Ross on the cover of Elle magazine. Can you say can you say how that was problematic? Because some people who are listening to this might not, you know, already be cognizant of you know the things that you're that you're saying. So can you kind of give an example um, with that specific example of how that was problematic? Oh Lord! Okay, October, August twenty ninth. Only if you um, want to. <laughs> I can. We can talk about it. It's okay. August twenty ninth. I made a post on Facebook saying the same thing I just said. Biracial black women are the main representatives of black femininity in the media and the face of the natural hair community. To the detriment and erasure of monoracial brown skinned black women. Tracy Ellis Ross has a white father. We all know this. Her daddy is white. Her mama is Diana Ross. She's never struggled a day in her life. She's never seen homelessness. She's never been hungry. She's never been not hired because of the way her hair comes out of her scalp. You know, it's that texture that my hair gets shamed for. I have 4C hair. My mama is black and so is my daddy. You know, my hair is 4C. It's probably 4D. If, if, there was a, if there's a 4D classification, it's that too. You know, I mean, I have this tight African coil and I love every coil of it. I love every strand. But I've had people, people's faces scrunch up when they see me and they see my hair because we are so accustomed to looking at biracial girls that, you know, and their hair that people treat me like I messed up for showing up being monoracial with 4C hair. They're like, ugh, you know, like like the disgust. You can see the disgust. Paul Ekman is uh, a scientist, a social scientist who talks about micro micro expressions, the little flitting expressions across people's faces that they may not even realize they're making. And disgust is a very common one that I see when, uh, when not Black people or even Black people sometimes are regarding Black women who are monoracial with 4C hair. It's just, it's the tiniest little inkling of disgust is on their faces. And that's because we've been looking at biracial Black women in the media as the representatives of Black femininity for the past 40 years. It started with Bill Cosby. He started this bullshit. And now, oh, can I cuss? I'm sorry. Yeah, that's fine. I cuss. 
I'm just over it. Well, he started it, and now it's it's bloomed into this this mess where Tracy Ellis Ross is on the color of of this mag on the cover of this magazine talking about natural hair, and it's like, sweetheart, you have biracial hair. Your hair is like three B at the very kinkiest. Why are you in the front leading this conversation about natural hair when you would never be not hired for your hair? Stop lying. Stop. You don't have to lie and try to claim an oppression that you don't face because, yeah, you're black. I'm not going to take blackness from you. You came out of Diana Watt Ross's womb. I'm going to call you black. Okay, fine. You can be black, but don't sit here and claim that your natural hair is discriminated against because it's not. Everybody wants your hair. Every black girl wants your hair. That's why we buy these products that all the biracial girls sell us like TT and Miko Branch. May T.T. rest in peace. The Miss Jessie's Curls, we buy these $40 tubs of product and we slather three and four products on our hair because we're we're trying to get to what the biracial girls have. Mm. Instead of just loving what we have, the biracial girls and their hair have been shoved down our throats for so long. We buy these products and make them rich off aspirational goods, what are ultimately aspirational goods, goods that we buy to give us a feeling that we are part of a certain lifestyle. And we're not, baby. Your mama is black and so is your daddy. Embrace it. <laughs> and I think to add insult to injury on the cover of that magazine uh, the was the caption, The State of Black Beauty. So... <laughs> Not only was it about her hair, but like she literally came to represent black beauty. And also you gave, you mentioned we're so used to seeing um, looser textured hair or hair uh, associated with mixed race people. It reminds me of the ad. I can't remember what brand it was, American Eagle or Urban Outfitters or some ad. And it was featuring um, children and all the kids had like messy hair and nobody had any pushback for any of the white children, but for the little black girl who also had messy hair, people had lots of pushback. Like, why did you show her that? Like, why did you show her like that? Why did you show her hair so nappy? And she, her hair looked like all the other, you know, white kids hair. The the look was supposed to be after a day of playing at school. So her hair looked like a child who had been just playing at school, but people are so, have been so conditioned to expect you know, looser textured hair or hair that's associated with mixed race people that to see a child with hair that was in the four category, it was, I guess, jarring for some people and embarrassing for some people. How could you show a, a, a black child with hair like this? Well, there's a lot of respectability uh, tied to our hair and the presentation of it. Gabby Douglas, a few years ago, she was at the Olympics, you know, winning gold medals on the world stage and black people. It was black people who were worried about her hair. You know, and that's because, though, white people did this to us. They made this environment, you know, where if you just straighten your hair and if you just have every cuff in place, you know, every every coil in place, then then we'll respect you and we'll treat you nicely. And so we internalize that. You know, there's a lot of respectability politics surrounding hair. And and we have come to understand or come to believe that type four hair is unkempt and untaking, you know, not taken care of properly if it's not shellac down does that make sense mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I remember when I first went natural it's 10 years ago now that I was a little a lot disillusioned with <laughs> what my hair would actually do <laughs> but I've since grown out of that thankfully um but yeah and it was because all these I was watching natural hair gurus and stuff and I can relate to what you're saying because I thought 
I wanted my hair to do something that it didn't actually do. And it took a, a process of unlearning for me to get to a point where I was like, okay, that my hair doesn't do that. And it's fine. And it's, you know, just as beautiful as that other hair, the other hair. Right. So how do you think colorism makes way or do you think colorism makes way for non-black people to kind of cosplay blackness? Oh, hell yeah. You know, and it's it's the black people who come in with the black people coming out shades and and all textures. And I got a cousin and an auntie that look just like this and they got two black parents. It's those people. It's those black people who make it hard, who make it actually who make it easy for the Rachel Dolezals and the Jess Krugs to scoot their way into our culture, to scoot their way into blackness. Oh, okay, well, y'all accepting these folks and calling them black. So um, that damn one drop rule, you know, y'all accepting these folks and calling them black. So let me come over here and cosplay as a black woman and take actual opportunities from real black women because, hey, I'm black too, you know? And it's y'all. It's y'all black people coming all shades, ass niggas, who make that shit easy. (laughs) <laughs> who make it easy for the Jess Krugs of the world and the Rachel Dolezals of the world to get a foothold in our culture. And then black men mm-hmm. oh, geez, have a whole episode of Oprah about black men and the way they uphold this system. They make it easy for the Jess Krugs and the Rachel Dolezals. They give these whole space to do what they want to do within our culture. Black men do it. Black men shut everybody else up. It'll be black women saying, hey, this bitch ain't black. Hold up, y'all. And they will they will silence us to give the white cosplaying woman, black fishing woman, space. To give her space and give mm-hmm. her opportunity. They'll silence us. Mm-hmm. I and I also want to I also want to point out, well, I feel like I've noticed a pattern of the type of white women who try who do this. In ter- especially in, in like academia we're, and we're talking about like Rachel Dolezal and Jessica Krug and there was another one recently very recently like last week or something that got out outed but they all have a look and it's it's usually not a look that gains them a lot of beauty capital in their own communities and so I think that they are playing upon the fact that they know they can come to black communities and be celebrated as light skin because we have this issue of colorism. So I think that's a big part of it. And yeah, I agree with you that I think that black men uphold it, specifically cishet black men uphold it a lot because they're the ones who are pedestaling, you know, these light skin women, these racially ambiguous um, light skin women. So what, um, what did your awareness, so your awareness of like, colorism and the erasure of, you know, monoracial, unambiguous black women, how did your awareness change like your perspective or how you move or how you understand yourself or anything like that? Or did it? Well, I I first noticed it with Bill Cosby and his productions. He just, he has this thing for biracial people. He puts them in everything he does. You know, his kids on, on Ghost Dad were all biracial. No white woman, nowhere. But all the kids are biracial in Ghost Dad, even his love interest, Denise Nicholas, in like three movies. She was in Ghost Dad. She was in Uptown Saturday Night, I think. And the other Sidney Poitier movie, she's biracial. Like he has this thing for mixed race people. And I first noticed it with him. And um, yeah, and I just like kept noticing it in the media. Like, y'all don't see this? Am I tripping? Do y'all see this? 
you know, and he he put him in a different world. We got Jasmine Guy. We got Cree Summer. You know, he just is obsessed with mixed race people. And he was the guy, Bill Cosby was the guy that the white establishment trusted to make media for black people for so long which is why they made sure to put him in jail, which they should have because he's a rapist. But he betrayed white folks by being a rapist because white people trusted him. For since the 1960s, every generation of black kid has a Bill Cosby production to look at. You got picture pages, you got Little Bill, you got, uh, uh, he was in, he was a, a spokesperson for a long time, but like Kodak, and Jell-O and, and Coca-Cola, you know? And so he was in America's homes. He was in white America's homes and they trusted him. You know, he was I spy in the 60s. So we've all grown up watching him. And it was just a great betrayal for him to do what he did. Um, and I just noticed, you know, like they they give him this responsibility of creating media for black people. But all he does is put biracial folks in everything like and they don't even be fitting. It's like, where the hell did Sandra and Denise come from? Sandra Denise did not come from Cliff and Claire. Get the fuck out of here. No. But he wanted us to believe that. You know, so I first noticed it with him. You got me rambling now and I don't even know if I'm answering the question. (laughs) (laughs) The question is, the question is, did your awareness of this erasure change anything for you? Like how you move or your understanding of yourself or anything like that? Oh, no, 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 no. Um, My knowledge of myself is firm. After going through puberty in Bremerton, Washington, Kitsap County, shout out. Um, after going through puberty up there, I really, mm -mm, you can't break me. I'm good now. Like I see, I understand the hierarchy of desirability and, you know, the economy of desirability and and who gets picked and, and all that. I get that, but I don't internalize it anymore. If that makes sense. Like it's not my fault. You know, I still turn heads and I do my numbers, you know, don't feel sorry for me at all, but I see what's preferred. You know what I'm saying? I see it. But I, it doesn't hurt me anymore, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And well, I would consider that in a like a, a change in the way you move or an understanding of yourself because you no longer internalize it or allow it to to get to you. So, and I would say the same for me. Like I just rather than seeing what's put on a pedestal and letting it be a reflection of my worth and my value, I just go where I'm celebrated. So, um, yeah, I would say. For me, that's that would be how it has, you know, changed how I move or whatever. And to to tie this to a current day example of Bill Cosby, I feel like Kenya Burris is not quite to the level of Bill Cosby, but he's he's really trying with his different shows where <laughs> nobody's darker than a, a brown paper bag. So, and I feel like he's another one, black man, his head black man who. Has been trusted, you know, to, yeah, who has been trusted to make shows for Black people, but chooses to mainly represent uh, biracial or multiracial women, right? So, yeah. Real life wife, Rainbow uh, Barris, Mm -hmm. is a doctor in real life, and she is biracial, and he's just obsessed with biracial people. Like most cishet Black men, Mm -hmm. most cishet Black men, if they had the choice, they would choose somebody that, you know, that has a white mom. Black men can't wait to get a white mother-in-law. They can't wait, you know, and, and <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it. And it's, it's, it's just this obsession that they have with that lighter skin, because we've been taught for centuries, literally, that lighter skin is more feminine. 
you know, and that hair is more feminine and, and I'm rough, you know, me and my monoracial 4C, you know, I'm rough and, and, and I can take a punch, you know, but, but, uh, uh, light bright over here, you know, with the white mom, she's prettier and she's more gentle and she's more, more, uh, more feminine, you know, and it's, it's mm. in their mind. They don't want to admit it. They'll, they'll call you crazy and say, you reach in. If you actually say this out loud, which is why I don't even bother talking to black men about this anymore. But yeah, they'll say you're reaching all day, but that's what's going on. And I don't internalize it. It's not my fault. Like I said, I still do my numbers. You know, I go where the love is. I do my numbers. I go where the love is. But I know what it is. We all do. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, well, I guess that kind of relates to the next question, which was, have you received pushback? Uh, and the answer to that is yes for vocalizing these sentiments around colorism and around um, erasure of unambiguous black women and, and what kind or how do people usually push back? So far it's all been online. (laughs) Thankfully um, online gives me a little bit of anonymity. Uh, Yeah. Cause like I have pictures up, you see me, I'm not hiding, but um yeah, I don't really have a platform outside of social media at this time. So the the pushback that I get from it um, is is online and I can just walk away. I really can. I can put my phone down. I can walk away from the computer. It's not a big deal. Um, and I have better boundaries these days. So there's nobody calling themselves my friends and being actively in my life while gaslighting me. You know, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Or denying, yeah. you know, what I said, you know, with the so the pushback you you get you would say is more like gaslighting and people saying that you know this is not really happening or you're making this up or there is no erasure of black women happening that type of thing. Yeah, yeah, people love to do that and and say that I'm imagining it and and all that, but I'm like, no, I'm not imagining. If I can, if I can sit here and make a photo collage of 36 biracial actresses that are actively working today in everything. Zazy Beats, all the British ones that came over here, like Fandy Newton and and uh, the one who played uh, Coretta Scott King, which is why I don't fool with Ava DuVernay, but okay. Um, what's her name? She played Coretta Scott King in Selma. And she's, she's viral. Anyway, I can make collages of all these actresses and you sitting here telling me I'm, I'm, I'm lying and I'm making it up? No. Gaslight somebody else, play in somebody else's face, because you're not going to do it to me. So, what do you think? Why do you think there are or there is so much pushback when it comes to putting parameters around blackness or who can represent blackness? Black people are lonely. We're lonely. Nobody in the world is treated the way that descendants of American chattel slavery are treated. Well, I take that back, not in the world, but in America. We get the short end of the stick every time and we're lonely. We want somebody to be quote unquote down with us. And if we can say that this pretty light skin, coily haired, you know, uh, a person is also black. Yeah. Let's claim them too. We claim everybody and it's to our detriment. It's to our detriment because it ends up erasing uh, monoracial brown skin black women. So also what's interesting to me is that if you go to other places in the world, there are 
categories for people who are multiracial. So like I remember one time I went to South Africa and it was on a like a study abroad trip with a group from my school or whatever. And one of the other people who went, she was dark skinned. A friend of mine who went was dark skinned. And another woman who went was uh, biracial. So my dark skinned friend and my bi- biracial, the biracial woman were going out with some people that they already knew or the some people that the biracial woman knew in South Africa already. And those women were also biracial. So in South Africa, there's this um, category called colored which is yep. like you're less yeah you're less than white people but you're better than regular black people. So the biracial the colored women in South Africa wanted to go out with the biracial woman who was on the trip with us but not for my dark skin friend to go out with her. So it's very it's common in other places in the world for people to have different categories for people who are multiracial. And I'm I'm wondering if it's specifically an African American thing where you know, we are expected to um, include everybody or if, you know, other ethnicities of Black people um, are allowed to have stronger boundaries around our Blackness. And not necessarily that you can speak to this or you want to speak to this, but it's something that I wonder about in terms of, you know, is it just descendants of American chattel slavery that are expected to just accept everybody? Yep, that's what it is. Because Nigerians come here, uh, Ghanaians come here. Everybody comes here from the diaspora, from the African diaspora. They're allowed to keep their culture. They keep borders around their culture. They don't want us American Akatas practicing their, their culture. They don't want us wearing their stuff. You know, they can keep borders around their shit, but they're steady using ours. Matter of fact, they're in this country because of the, the activism of descendants of American chattel slavery. The, uh, the, uh, the Immigration Act of 1965. That was our mm-hmm. activism embarrassing the hell out of America on the world stage, which created, you know, the legislation to allow folks to come over here. And they come to the house that we built and are forced to rent and they shit on us and they distance themselves from us. So they are allowed to keep borders around their culture, but we better keep ours open. And I don't mm-hmm. get that. It's like they mm-hmm. they, they tell us that we have no value. And that's even from our cousins, from our diaspora and continental cousins. You know, they even tell us, you know, y'all don't have no value. You know, y'all don't have a culture. Yeah, you, yeah, we do actually. You know, you're the one walking around here talking about lit. You know, you listen to our music, you learn our language. You know, you're eating macaroni and cheese on Sunday. You know, that's our culture. That's and, our shit. And using AAVE to um, tell us how we don't have culture. <laughs> Make it make sense. That's the thing. So I do mostly see black men giving not black women or questionably black women access to blackness. But I also see a lot of black women go to bat for like protecting the feelings of biracial women. And I think that's one way that we mammy that gets overlooked and, you know, in kind of defending um, biracial women or, or, oh, they they'll feel excluded. We can't exclude them. And. I've talked about I've talked about the lack of representation for darker skin black women in in media and I've had actual pushback from from you know darker skin black women saying oh you know I there are plenty of examples of black women in the media and it's kind of mind-boggling because what world are you living in and why are you choosing to mammy for <laughs> for people who are in no shortage of opportunities or privilege based on the no way that they look. So, 
no shortage of representation. They would not do the same for you. It's proximity. I think it's also sexual at this point. Like even black women, black women who consider themselves heterosexual. Like we just love, we love biracial women so much. And I was like, why don't you just go marry a biracial girl? Like, why are y'all doing all this going to bat? for these beige women. Like, okay, fine. We included them in blackness. But I remember that, that Tracy Ellis Ross post that I was talking about from August 29th that blew up and brought all these people my way. Um, there were black monoracial black women there attacking me saying that I'm attacking biracial black women. I'm like, are y'all serious right now? Are y'all serious? And they're dead ass serious. They mean every word of it. And I'm like, y'all don't realize how stupid you look right now. Like, you are unambiguously monoracial black. Why do you care that we include? I was including them. I was including them when I said black women only. Okay, I was including them. But why do you care? Why are you going to bat like this? And I really feel like it's it's we have some romantic, sexual, psychosexual feelings we have not worked out with biracial mm. women because. They've been put on that pedestal for 40 years in the media that we've been consuming. We all watch Fresh Prince every day after school when we came in. So we saw Hillary Banks. Oh, she's so pretty. And we internalize that. You know what I'm saying? And so then we grow up and do stupid shit, like get on the internet and argue with me over the inclusion of these women. When we've already included them. T Tia and Tamara sitting here crying, talking about... uh uh uh. <laughs> <laughs> black people don't like me and black people excluded me, sweetheart. You, you and your sister are household names in black America because we love you, because we let you play black girls on TV for however many years Sister Sister was on. Stop lying. But they want to lie and cry. <laughs> and that shit just makes me so angry. So, yeah. <laughs> it's annoying. Y'all are annoying. I get it. Talk to me. Makes sense. That's all I ask. Just makes sense when you talk to me. And if you are monoracial, brown skinned, black, what in the fuck are you defending lighter skinned women for who have privilege over you? No one's attacking them, first of all. But why are you jumping on grenades? I didn't even throw, sis. What the fuck? Right. And what? and for for women that men would punch you in the face to get to, like literally, when, like when I see videos of black women getting manhandled and beat up by men, it's usually darker skinned women. So like. Yep. <laughs> They don't, treat, they don't treat the biracial girls like that. Every viral video you see of intimate partner violence and a, a black man acting a fool on a black woman, he's doing it to a monoracial brown skinned black woman. Somebody with two black yeah. parents, unambiguously black. He doesn't act like that. Abusers don't act like that, publicly at least, toward team mixed. They don't. But people going to lie and say, yeah, they do. My cousin was getting her ass beat. They're going to come and lie and act like I'm making this up. But yeah, every viral video you see on Twitter, that black man hit that black woman with a skateboard. Monoracial black. Or if it is happening and being videoed, then I feel like it's not um, spread as much. Like it's not... Because I feel like people, a lot of people, when they spread it, they're laughing at these women who are, you know, getting beat up or whatever. And I feel like that would not happen if it were a, a light skinned, you know, biracial woman. It wouldn't be this mockery that people like to make of darker skinned black women. And I think we would all benefit from specificity in language. I don't like the way that we say light skin when we should be saying biracial. Because again, mm. back in my day, 
Felicia Rashad was light skinned. Mm-hmm. Debbie Allen. Wait, was Felicia, Felicia Rashad? The mom on the Cosby? Yeah. What? They were like. This is how it's changed, though. This is how it's changed. Debbie Allen was light skinned. Now we got biracial folks and we're calling them light skinned. And no, they need to be team mixed. They need to just stick with mixed and stop saying no. Specificity of language would benefit everybody because now you've erased my mom who was light skinned. You know, she was Mm -hmm. Debbie Allen's complexion. You know, now you've erased a whole tier of monoracial black girls who were you know, lighter skinned because you're calling biracial people light skinned now. You know, I, I think we would benefit from a specificity of language, calling a thing mm-hmm. a thing, calling a person what they are, you know, and that's not to exclude anybody. You know, again, you can be black. I'm not taking away the half blackness. I'm not. But let's be specific because you cut mm-hmm. out a whole tier of black people when you when you do that. And I've heard I've heard the argument that you shouldn't want to delineate between quote unquote monoracial black people and multiracial or biracial people because it reifies race, which is a, which is not biological. But if you if you make delineations like that, then you're saying that race is biological. And to me, I don't agree, I don't agree with that because I feel like. It does the opposite. I feel like it acknowledges the the advantages and the privilege inherent in having a multiracial or, or yeah yeah. So it's not it's not it's not saying that race is biological and natural and you know a naturally occurring phenomenon. It's saying that it's saying that because you have parents of two different races that that impacts the way that you experience life. Right. And the way that people perceive you as a person who is not um, just black. And that matters. There are there are studies out there about how people are perceived uh, based on like being mixed or being light skinned. I think I remember a study about how white people are more likely to um, take to listen to what you have to say about race when you're biracial, because they feel like you're going to be more. They feel like you're going to be more impartial since you have like two sides than a black they person. So, hey, they see the be- they're the best of both worlds. They see all sides, guys. Let's give them the mic, okay? Right, <laughs> right, yeah. So, yeah, and that and again, that speaks to this whole we're all black the same idea because literally we're not. <laughs> literally, so. Uh, Yeah, we are not the same. No, we're not treated the same at all, which is where, again, the jealousy allegation comes from. They know they're treated better, which is why the first insult they go to is, oh, you just jealous. You know Mm -hmm. you're treated better. Biracial people have Mm -hmm. a special table, a buffet table of benefits within the Black community. So how do you, what do you do to stay grounded in your your own image and despite all the, the, the noise out there? in the fanfare surrounding biracial women or lighter skinned mixed race women? I'm actually okay. I mean, I had, <laughs> I don't watch a lot of TV, first of all. So all these mm-hmm. new shows, I couldn't name you outside of the art, the, the, the actresses that I put on that collage. I couldn't name you any of these girls on these Netflix shows. Like I don't watch that stuff. I just, I just don't, it's not for me, you know? Um, 
So if I'm not constantly consuming those images that erase me and negate me, then it can't seep into my psyche, you know? So that is self-care, just not even watching that shit, you know? I'm not participating. Also, with regard to Nigerians and and continental, our continental cousins and our diaspora cousins uh, replacing descendants of American chattel slavery in American media, I don't watch that shit either. I don't. I'm, I have no interest whatsoever in seeing Cynthia Erivo play Harriet Tubman. Have no interest whatsoever in seeing Cynthia Erivo play Aretha Franklin, and she looks fucking stupid in that wig. So it's like I don't. I, don't, I just don't watch it. <laughs> I don't give them the the clicks. I don't give them the ratings. No, you're not going to insult me. You're not going to erase me and insult me. I'm, I'm going to find something else to do. So that's mm-hmm. part of it. That's a really big part of it. And just every day when I brush my teeth, I see a black woman. She's beautiful. You know, and I tell myself, I love you. <laughs> you know, I tell, I kiss myself. You know, if I don't love me, who else will? You know, and we have to affirm ourselves in that way because society damn sure ain't going to do it. Yep. And I, and that's what, so that's um, been key for me too, especially like in terms of social media, who I follow on social media. I don't follow anyone who, for the most part, I don't follow celebrities who don't look like me. Like, I don't, I don't need you to be in my purview. Like I'm focused on my, me and my image. So that's definitely been um, a, a big part of it for me. Would, do you have any words or suggestions or recommendations or anything for monoracial black women who uh, maybe, you know, I don't know, feeling a way about their erasure of their image in, in the media. You got to detox, you know, you got to surround yourself uh, with images of people who look like you. Tumblr helped me, believe it or not. OG Tumblr back in the day, uh, there was a dark skinned black women Tumblr and it was nothing but pictures of gorgeous, dark skinned girls. And I was just looking at that all the time. And that honestly helped. That helped recalibrate my mental because we've been looking at 40 years of Bill Cosby's productions and, and all these other productions with biracial girls on screen. We've been looking at that forever. And I had to, I had to really reprogram myself. You know, so Tumblr helped with that. I don't know. I'm pretty sure there's like an Instagram account or a Facebook group that you could look mm-hmm. at for images of monoracial brown skinned black women. You know, somebody's compiling images somewhere on a social media account and just look at that. Take it in, please. You know, because mm-hmm. we don't even realize the imbalance until until we start to even it out and be like, well, damn, I really have not seen any dark-skinned Black women. I really have not seen any monoracial, brown-skinned Black women. It's been all biracial girls and racially ambiguous. It really has. And like your light bulb will come on and you just, you got to reprogram yourself. You have to actively want to reprogram yourself. And you just made me think of, so Moesha just got, like a a while ago, just got released on Netflix and I started watching it. And to me, Moesha the character Moesha was annoying, but as I was watching it, I like I got over the annoyance because I forgot what it's like to see a black family on, on TV, like a, a unambiguous black family. And so I watched it because I just missed seeing a black ass family. 
Look, Kenya Barris is obsessed with biracial people. That's all he puts in all his shows. And I just long for the days of the 90s, you know, when we could see monoracial brown skinned black people on TV. Cheryl Lee Ralph is the mom. You know, we got a brown skinned dad. We got Brandy as the daughter. I was team Monica, so I never watched Moesha. I've never seen a single episode. <laughs> what? Okay. I'm still team Monica, ATL ho. Don't disrespect it. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i appreciate brandy for being that representation for the monoracial brown skinned black girls you know what i'm saying she kept some braids you know and she could sing and she was beautiful and i love her for that even though i'm still team monica <laughs> yeah so the so the message is seek out yourself if you're, yes. if you're listening to the message seek yourself so switching gears a little bit Tell us about your course for Black women, and I'll let you tell tell what it's about. So tell us about that. Oh, my goodness. It's called Healthy Swirling. Yeah, and it is about, it's for Black women. It's exclusively for Black women who want to expand their dating options because the brothers, we love them, but they're not picking us. They're picking biracial girls. So if you want to expand your options, I'm going to teach you how to do it, um, and in a way that respects your history and your heritage and your culture. You don't have to stop being Black and not talk about race in order to be with a, a white man. I went on a date, actually, earlier this year with a white guy, and this was before the pandemic hit, and he said that I've been dating Black women for 20 years. His ex-wife, one of his ex-wives, whew, that was a mess, but one of his ex-wives <laughs> was Black. And he says, you are, we, we went on two dates. And he said, in two dates, you have talked to me more extensively and more thoroughly about race than I've ever heard from any Black woman I've ever dated. And uh, 2013, when I conceived of the class, I was coaching uh, a parasite who had been with, <laughs> she was a parasite, and uh, she had been with her white man for 10 years and had never talked to him about race until I showed up and told her she, she had to do it. And I was like, damn, black girls are really out here getting into marriages and mortgages with white men and not talking about race. So you're, you're absorbing all kinds of microaggressions from him, from his family, from his friends. And it's just like they, they're not talking about it. And that all is going to add up to be a big, huge racialized trauma in your black psyche. That's going to kill you, sweetheart. It's going to send you to the nut house, to be honest. It's going to, it's really going to affect you mentally and spiritually. And I am here to teach you what to say and what to think and how to go about conducting a relationship with someone not black, because I have many years of experience uh, <laughs> in this arena <laughs> and I am, I'm not trying to make you, you know, you're not going to go out bad. So the class is going to be six weeks. It's going to be two hours every Saturday. Then we're going to have a one hour Q&A on Wednesdays. Um, HealthySwirling.com. It's under construction. We have a tentative start date of November 4th. So if we start on November 4th, that gives you three sessions to get your mind right and to get, you know, your words together so you know what to say before you go have Thanksgiving dinner at Brad's house with his mama. And then we're going to have the remaining, the remaining three sessions 
after Thanksgiving before Christmas. So if you're going to meet him on Christmas, you are ready for the Republican uncle. You know, you're ready. You know what to say to defend yourself and your heritage and your people. You don't have to let black people get shit on in order to have white in-laws. And I'm here to help. So the first cohort, first 10, it's going to be limited. The class size is going to be limited to 10 people. Yeah, 10 people. And we're going to just go every six weeks. New 10 people every six weeks. You know, we're just going to get y'all together because your mother is your first teacher. But mama can't teach you what she don't know herself. And y'all out here having these beige babies and these children is confused as hell. And you don't have to go out like that, sis. You really don't. We got too much information. We got too much internet for you to go out like that. And I'm here to help. Okay. So healthyswirling.com. And that's what it is. Yeah. I'm Juki Jones on Instagram, on Facebook, on uh, Twitter. Juki Jones on all three. And yeah, you'll be able to find me at jukeboxjones.com and you'll be able to find Healthy Swirling at slash Healthy Swirling as soon as this site is done. So if you are interested in taking the class, email me at Healthy Swirling, all one word, Healthy Swirling at gmail.com. And I will give you the terms and the conditions and, you know, we'll go from there. Boom. So question, because I know there will probably be some people who listen to this and will like not internalize it the way that it was meant to be internalized or to be heard and say, well, you just, you know, spent this whole episode going in on biracial people and now you're promoting swirling. What would you say in response to that? Listen, we've been swirling since we arrived on these shores in the belly of ships, you know, against our will. And now in this day and age, willingly. Again, I don't hate biracial people. I'm just asking for specificity in language. I'm asking for us to acknowledge colorism. You know, people, <sighs> we are so unaccustomed to telling the truth about race, you know, and to talk talking about it, frankly, we're so unaccustomed to that, that when anybody comes in with facts and, and words and, and precision, people clutch the pearls. They don't know what to do. It's just like, you hate me. No, sweetie, I don't hate you. I'm just being direct, you know, and I'm calling a thing a thing and we need to get used to that. Like we're, we live in a country founded on the genocide of the original inhabitants and the free labor, well, the uncompensated labor of purchased people, you know? And so the country, foundation of the country is racist, but we've never been allowed to talk about race. So if nobody's ever been allowed to talk about it, how are you going to know how to talk about it? And got a president who is literally making it against, <laughs> like, I'm not going to say against the law, but like making it, tab- not taboo. What is the word I'm looking for? He's basically saying, don't talk about this shit. Like, oh, yeah, ain't yeah. no anti-racist work going on. <laughs> so literally. <laughs> we have a government that will legislate the truth of this country's history out of the schools. So if you don't get the education in, in K through 12 and you don't get it in college because you went to a, 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 a trade school or you went to a, a certificate program so you can do web design, you know, like not everybody has an African-American studies department. So that's what my class is for. I'm here to help you, sis. I'm here to fill in the blanks. You know, it's going to be a safe space. I'm going to get real. You're going to get real. We're going to get to know each other. And I'm also offering coaching. So if you can't take the class, if the class is full and there's a wait list and you got to deal with his family this weekend, call me. We'll get on Zoom. We'll work it out. You get the tools that you need. Because again, how there's so many dating coaches out here that are telling black women, get you a white man and go overseas and get you an Italian man and get you one of these. But anti-blackness is global, beloved. 
if you are black, you are hated world world round, like around the world. Like in Greece, they were putting African migrants in the damn ocean, girl. You know, just throwing them in the ocean, dropping them off at sea mm-hmm. because they didn't want black people in the country. So these these dating coaches are telling black women to expand our options and, you know, date interracially and date internationally, but anti-blackness is global. And until we acknowledge race, until we learn how to talk about race, you're you're setting black women up for failure, you know? Hello. And that's all there is to it. Well, I want to thank you once again for coming on the show. You're really funny. <laughs> I, I hope I was coherent because I feel like I'm a I'm a little loose cannonish and I feel like I'm just not making sense. It's fine. I enjoyed it. So I didn't make sense and you enjoyed it. Oh, okay, cool. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> Thank you for being on the show. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Not the Wifey Type, the podcast. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe so you'll know when new episodes drop and rate and review so others will know how much you love the show too. If you want to keep up with me personally, you can follow me on Instagram at NotTheWifeyType. Until next time, I'm reminding you to belong to yourself. <laughs>